Hey guys, I want to remind you that I do have a Patreon page for those that are not familiar with that. It's an easy way for um, those interested in my work to see new exclusive content and updates before anyone else. And it's also an opportunity to contribute to the show to help with um, project that we rolled out and as well as the opportunities I have to give back to the community by contributing as little as one dollar per month. Yes, I do not discriminate against money. You can actually contribute to the show. As one of my listeners and supporters, I'd like to invite you to be a stakeholder on the show as well. If you're interested in becoming one of my patrons, please help me and lay the foundation for what I hope to be a great ongoing project the most stable show if you're not in a position to become my patron to financially contribute to the show that's no worries at all your support still means the world to me another way you can help is to spread the word every time you get announcements about new episodes please share it on your page and maybe even add in a few words about what each episode means to you and things like that so thank you all and i do appreciate your support and for giving me courage to keep this platform going now enjoy the show hello everyone i am Sibel, and this is the more civil podcast. Okay, welcome back to the show. This is the more civil podcast, a podcast about culture and cultural movements designed for blacks and Asians and those who are from. I'm your host, Masila Nigerian, born in US educated, Korean speaking, wondering intellectual. Um, a unique Saturday in August and I have the privilege of bringing a wonderful um, guest on the show, and um, I've talked to them a couple of times. I'm actually staying at their house in Maryland, and um, I thought it was just going to be a unique opportunity to have them on the show to share their experience and also talk about some hot topics. So um, her name is Adekundi Oyelade, but I call her Kundi, and she is the CEO and the founder of um, Sheshawa, which is um, an internship in support services, the social enterprise driven by passion to give direction to young younger Nigerians and help them with internship placement. So we're going to talk about how that got started. She's also a Washington Fellowship Fellow and a Changemakers Fellow. So everyone join me welcoming um, Kumbi to the show. Hey. <laughs> Alright, um, I think we can just get started with um, Sheshawa. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first time you mentioned it, I, I didn't really get the tonal part of it. So, until you now said it again, like, Shay Shelwa, like, yeah. I don't know how it's really neat. So, um, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, your business and and how that got started first and what you guys are about? Okay, Shay Shelwa is Shay Shelwa. It's a Yoruba language in Nigeria, one of local languages. And in Yoruba, it means, is there a job? So, I chose the name by proxy because. Someone used to call me that, and um, it was it was one of those um, phrases that people used in school for people who did menial jobs. Um, so you literally stand out of your room when they need to ask people any job people. Are you calling using, any work in your any life? work exactly? Yeah. yeah. So that's the same. That's exactly where that came from. So I think um, someone used to call me that because I was. Really, your mother fixed it. I could fix anything for anyone, okay. irrespective of what it was. Mostly, I was pretty good at you know organizing events and putting things together. I was very entrepreneurial from my first year in school, so that's why that's why the person started calling me. So when I started to think about the business, I decided to name the company that because it was related to work. I 
because I was very entrepreneurial, I, this has been from a very young age. Yeah. I, I probably started my first business at the age of nine. Oh, you're selling? Greeting cards. <laughs> Where did you get them from? Yeah, because I school very far, about 14 hours away from home, okay. boarding house, and then I, I lived in, in Lagos, and I had to school very far, all the way in the east. In the east, yeah. So I thought of meeting the needs of people that did not have opportunity to get some really beautiful things at the city life. So yeah, the privilege Exactly. <laughs> so I, I started to do that at the age of, you know, whilst I was in school. And then I think that's, you know, I always loved the idea of doubling resources or doubling money. I think that was always very comfortable with money. Yeah. And I liked doing work with it and making it double. <laughs> so, so I'm just curious yeah. like, was it like what did you give you that entrepreneurial um, foundation? Was it from your mom? And that how was money discussed in your household when you um I think every time I think about it, I think it started from the fact that my mom used to have a business okay. in my house, in our house. Uh, it was like a restaurant. Okay. And because she was always there, was in the same building where we were. So I got very accustomed to hearing people talk about money, mm-hmm. change, balance. You know, it was very comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say it was also probably in one. Okay. Because I really like to <laughs> to solve problems and get rewarded for it. Okay. At the same time. So... Going to secondary school, I just spoke to her. I was thinking about doing this, and she said, "Okay, it's nice and encouraging." And she encouraged me. Yeah, many Nigerian parents like, "Go study your books." Yeah, my friend. Yeah, and I also think being in the in the eastern part of Nigeria yeah. also encouraged it. So, so, so it wasn't like there were people doing business, but I'd like to say that I'm very drawn, that's the word I yeah. use, to the entrepreneurial vibe in, that the Easterners have. Yeah. Oh, and I see. I see. You know, and that's, you know, struggle and desire to push beyond their limits and to make something else happen out of nothing. Yeah. So, I think the combination of Everything all of yeah. those things. For our non-Nigerian listeners, um, they, people from the Eastern part of Nigeria, they have this, um, it's a stereotype, but it's a positive thing of people consider them on average to be very entrepreneurial and they just, they're into business and they know how to basically double money. So you know how we talk about the Jewish people here in the US, we can say the evils, uh, which is, you know, when, who are the people that like, you know, that predominantly live in Eastern part of Nigeria, that call them the Nigerian Jewish people, yeah. or the Nigerian Jews. Yeah. Anyways. So um yeah, so I didn't talk about why she fell out. Oh yeah, that's gonna be my that's gonna remind you of that. Yeah. So because I was very entrepreneurial consistently, I started moving in the circles of business owners okay. in the in the school and I started asking myself what I wanted to do because I was practicing I was practicing to be a lawyer. Yeah. I was my undergrad was in law. I started asking myself or if I wanted to continue in the law profession, what would it look like? 
And so these questions led to another and to another. So I, during a holiday, I started writing to different companies across Lagos, asking them for a holiday job. Most of them actually laughed at me when I brought those letters in. And they would read the letters and then they would ask me, why are you doing this? Oh, you are you looking for? Right to oh, absolutely, person. yes. Oh, wow. And they would say, are you looking for money? What exactly? I said, no, I, I just want the experience. I want to know what I want to do. Because there were so many names going on in my Because I was doing a lot of events in school. I was selling during Valentine's seasons. I was selling jewelry. I just wanted to try out public relations, events management, to just see if it was something yeah. I wanted to do. I wonder how that was confusing for them, because they see a lot of students coming to learn Exactly. And this person was my second year. <laughs> and I would go home and start crying, and my mom would say, what is the problem? I said, I can't find a job. <laughs> I just she would laugh at me and say, You can't find a job. Nobody's asking you to. But I, I didn't know what that desire was pointing towards. Yeah. So um in my third year I was fortunate to go on an internship. At the time in, in Nigeria the culture, the language definition of internships wasn't that popular because it wasn't it wasn't so much ingrained in the educational system. Yeah. The only way it was expressed was um, for engineering students when there was something called inter- industrial training, which is, yes, which is an equivalent of I an internship. I So it was for people STEM. in STEM, really, but not even all people also, in yeah. STEM. And so it was also part of their school credit, for, and mostly for people who had five-year course program. So because this was such a challenge, it was a new language for people, this particular um, law students club used the, name, the word internship mm-hmm. and they connected with the alumni of the school mm-hmm. and tried to provide opportunities for some of us who were interested. So we had to, during that holiday, we had to go in for, we had to go in for interviews at this law firm. And I was selected at the end of the day. So I spent six weeks waking up very early in the morning, going to work, and I was the most excited human being. Oh, jeez. <laughs> in the entire world. Was it paid or unpaid? Or I, didn't I didn't even care. I didn't even ask. I didn't even ask because this was just an opportunity. It's not something that people give. Yeah. And it was a, a very serious law firm. Top of it was top of the kind of law firm. Their strength and focus was on corporate governance. Oh. So it wasn't a shady law firm. It was properly, they had this, an internship supervisor who gave us projects to work on. They also put us in, you know, in different um, part of the film to understand how it was running. Now, one thing became very clear, I enjoyed the idea of work, mm-hmm. but not that kind of work. Like the law I wasn't kind of drawn to, to the law profession, but I was drawn to the idea that I, I was trying to find, yeah, 
in a very short period of time and that I could answer the simple question, do I want to be a lawyer just on a six-week or yeah. a program? And it was really phenomenal. I thought to myself after that, if every young person, irrespective of their department, faculty, you know, um, focus of study, will partake in something like this, it will give them an opportunity. My first experience using a computer was actually on that internship. Because um, it wasn't a time when laptops were coming in. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, very old all of a sudden. But <laughs> yeah, the way laptops and computers in that era, yeah. and then I would see people do control C and then all of a sudden something appears. And so, you know, it was a great It was so, such a great opportunity to just see people work and I could ask the questions without the pressure of being looked at as being stupid. Yeah. You know, so it was, I, a, it was, it was an environment to grow absolutely from yeah. client counseling. My first presentation was 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 a presentation to every member of the, the law firm and the senior members as well. So all the things I led to preparation. I was a different person when I went back to school. Okay. I knew clearly what the lecturer was saying when he asked questions about corporate law. And one of the things I took away from that internship was asking them about how to run a business. Because it was a corporate financing kind of work. Exactly. And yes. corporate governance. Governance, yes. So I photocopied a lot of their materials and read. I also asked a lot of questions. Uh, some of the questions were what would it take me to register a business? Why should I have a business name? What exactly should I do? And then I, the idea of providing young people with the same kind of opportunity that that law firm provided me came to me very strongly. So I went back to school and I started saving money, used my accommodation fees to pay for my for business registration. So you're just cutting the rest of that side as well? No, I wasn't. I well, you had your you had your side hustle. What is it? You had your side of hustle, right? Exactly. I, <laughs> I I only asked for more time and within a couple of weeks I turned out the money that I paid and I kept I kept it going, yes. So that was my first um opportunity to create a name for a business, not just the name, create the concept and start researching towards it. So by my fourth year, I launched in the university. And that was 2009, right? Yes. Fourth, fifth year, yes. 2009, I launched the company and started providing shorts between trips for my classmates. And then I finished school and started to take it more seriously. And that became a full time job? That's the only job I've really done. Wow. Yeah. That was quite risky though. Absolutely. Given the landscape of Nigeria and all of that. So, um, well, two questions for you. The first one would be, so I think you had said something about how going to that internship made you realize that you didn't want to do law. If an argument could make for the fact that the kind of law you were practicing there was corporate governance. And given that there are other you know, types of law, like um, criminal law, and then international law, like probably if you had gone on other kind of internship, that might, that might have changed your perspective. 
What do you have to say about that? I don't think it would have because think. they practice criminal law. It was just very not so there was not so much focus ah, okay. on that. But irrespective, it wasn't it wasn't just the type of law they practice. That wasn't the way I saw it. It was the kind of job that it was going to be for me. I knew it needed to be <laughs> that this just wasn't for me. Okay. And it was it, it was very practical. Yeah, right. I I I definitely opened up my heart to still try. Okay, which is why I went on to law school. Yeah, but but still, still never really connected. Yes, and that's okay. Yeah. Um. So I have a question I have for you. You know how let me use this classic example when Donald Trump was talking about um just his way he started business and he said something and I paraphrase it. My dad just gave me a million dollars to start. So um, I want to ask, like, it sounds the way you talked about your transition from you know launching Cheshire on your first fifty years school and then transitioning into that as a full time thing for you like after school. Did you get some help, like financial help from those around you, or you did all of that by yourself? Okay, <sighs> I didn't get. <laughs> help financially, but I did get some help, I've learned. I come from a family of a lot of girls. Okay. Girls. So I have three sisters. Okay. And at the time I was born, I was the fourth girl. So there was so much opportunity to be yourself. Okay. That was the way that I was born. I could take the chances and nobody questioned my my chances. you know my chances and rather they supported me in any way they could if they found understanding and because I'd made choices that were very good in the past in the past okay. it was easy to also believe in whatever it was that I wanted to do. Okay. So once I left university I did not want to run the business full time because I was scared. I did not have the resources and the country, a lot of people didn't understand it. It will be a lot of work for me to run it successfully. And the biggest question that was on the heart of people was if this should be a non profit because how much money can you possibly be making for connecting people to internships? So, I did try to get a job after school, and I did get a job. It was at the interview stage that I went on, and the the person who was there literally wanted me to start the job immediately because he had not interviewed anyone who was as fiery, as precise as I, as I was during the interview. So something happened. He told me that, oh, I've been looking for someone for this entry-level role for <laughs> as long as... I can remember I've interviewed over a hundred people and I haven't found anybody quite like you. And you know, it wasn't an exciting thing for me to hear. I I started crying in the interview. <laughs> I'm not joking. I literally, you know, he told me, Oh, take it easy. And the that was when I knew that I had built up from my research, I built up some passion about young people inside of me because what he was saying to me wasn't funny. You mean you you have interviewed a hundred people? Not to, I'm not saying anything fantastic, 
and you can't find someone to just do this entry level position. Do this entry level position. And so he said, he was wondering why I was so moved by what he said. And then I told him that this was the idea I had about preparing young people for work. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you a blank check. I really want you to work here, but I want you to also fulfill that desire. So he I'm, said that? Yeah. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to do both. I'll give you some days off to concentrate on the business. So when I left that place, I thought I was going to take the job. But it did not settle well with me. I felt very strongly at the same time that once I started, it would be difficult for me to buy back my time on it. And I felt that it was very important at the time for somebody, anybody, to run the course I wanted to do. I mean, when I say the course, I mean the mission yeah. of the business and for the sake of the young people, because it was at a time when people were just understanding 21st century skills, computers were just coming up, the government was making policies about you know, sending youth core members to ICT, to no companies. They were, they um, were considering the them going to rural areas. Rural areas. And the yeah. yeah, so it was really a time when the policy wasn't, so to speak, to yeah, there was a lot to be done. Yes. So um, I needed to, to make an interesting decision, so I took some time to think about it. And um, I, you know, I, I decided to run, continue the mission I started while in university. So it's been 10 years now? Yeah. Now tell me, um, what are your, like, how does it work? Like, so I think from just our conversations before today, you focus mostly on non-health, you know, related um, fields. Yeah. And so let's take, for example, um, I study computer science and in the placement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you guys? Or how does it work? Yeah, so um, we can find you anywhere. We can find you online. We can find you offline. You can find me. You, we can find you. You can find us. Okay. That's what I mean, actually. Okay. When we can find you, you can find us. We go to universities where we get power affairs. And then we also have an online platform that connects individuals to our work. So we get to know who you are, what you're looking for. At the time you're looking for it, how long do you have to, to be connected to a company? And because it's not just about connecting to a company, we also create a curriculum mm-hmm. that trains you, prepares you for the world of work. Before the internship starts? Before the internship starts, or while the internship is in progress. And you take short-term internships at long-term? We take short-term from a period of three weeks to a year. Okay. A year is the maximum that we do. Okay. Yeah. So we have short-term working, but we, um, we've classified them what, as fully internships. Some of them are job shadowing programs. Some of them are unpaid internships. Okay. Some of them are paid internships. So depending on the duration, on who the body is on to learn more, sometimes the body is on the employer who needs someone to take some easier task off them. So depending on where that body is, we will understand how to classify the program and what to call it. Whether it's a paid or paid internship, whether it's a job sharing program, whether it's a volunteering opportunity. 
because we are also responsible for language or how internships are defined yeah. in terms of their general legal parameters in the country. So as a first organization, we took that responsibility to help people understand this is what this means, and this is what this means. This is the consequence for this, and this is why this particular one is, is this one. So that we're able to also do it um, with the best practices around the world. What would you say um, are some of, what's some of the most challenging what's the most part of running Shashawa? Yeah. There are billion and one, <laughs> but some come to mind immediately. It's the fact that you are, uh, over time it has changed, but I was creating a service that the two parties didn't make the need to. So the companies are not too sure why they need okay. The students so were not too sure why they, they, they needed an internship because they were just undergraduates and they were still going to go back to school anyway. Exactly. They were still going to go back to school. Uh, holidays for rest. <laughs> you know, it's not for... And if you don't get paid, it's like, why am I doing this? And you're telling me I don't get paid. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. So, because of... You have to define so many things. So you're creating a sense that the, both parties, both your clients don't understand. So when you move from letting them understand, yeah. then you now move to selling them a product. Yeah. So that was definitely a big challenge. And the second challenge was the focus of the people that we're working with. They're mostly the intention of the of the organization was mostly to build, develop employability of young people. Yeah. So most of the people we really wanted to reach were undergraduate. Yeah. Now because of curriculum as well as calendar in Nigeria. University A is in, is in their spring semester in December. Uh, University B uh, is in their second semester at the same time. So the calendars were not the same. Yeah. Uh, as well as the fact that sometimes when we send the young people on internships, oh, some of them didn't show up to work the next okay. day. And then you're selling your product from a company perspective. Because yeah. I refuse to run the company as the not-for-profit. So I had so much more to lose. Not to lose, to explain. To explain, like, your position, your standing, yeah. Yeah, because I was running... You're the broker, you're the Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like every other business should be run. Yeah. So I need to know, understand why this product should be... Yeah. What yeah. or what service I'm rendering? Why anybody should use my own services? Yeah. So yeah, those were definitely big challenges. And um, yes. So um, you, I'm curious to know. So you mentioned how you know, some paid and some are unpaid. Yeah. How do you make money from, especially for those that don't pay? Yeah, this is where my entrepreneurial side kicked in. Okay. And so even though. In 2009, I never understood the meaning of social enterprise. I just knew that I, I could not run a not-for-profit. Not because it did not sound great. It was the best thing. But I had an entrepreneurial part of me that would not allow it yeah. to happen. You know what I mean? So I started to, to combine my social efforts to see how money can be made from it. So what I did was... 
I, I tried to understand who needed this product. Yeah. The companies needed it because the, this was a question of demand and supply. The education system in Nigeria is the market. And we have the supply of Nigerian graduates. And this supply was ultimately very faulty. Hmm. Because the people, the, they were churning out every year. They were not particularly ready for the world of work. So if you provided them with internship opportunities, you run a lower risk of recruiting among individuals. So as we started to create graduate internship programs that connected them to work after. To their prospective employers. Prospective employers. So that was the market's own strategy. And so you needed to pay me for that service. All beats, not so much. Yeah. Now, on the other side, the students needed this service. If they wanted to do it themselves, it was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. It was hard at the time to find an opportunity. Yeah. So you can't tell me I, I should do that for without a fee. Yeah. So we created fees and then we created an outsourcing model. So the business model changed in terms of what we're trying to do. So we we created our administration because we also had challenges with people not staying through the internship programs. We had to introduce things that made them stay the long haul. So they had to pay for it. I mean, was it like a month? I'm telling you, they didn't have to pay for nothing. Oh, yeah. Oh, they didn't have to pay for it upfront. We never charged any fees upfront. Oh, okay. Until placement is completed. Well, that's good. But because also 98% of our internships were paid for. And their salaries were paid through us. Ah, you could take the money out of it. So we charged the placement fee. So, yes. So there was just someone named Cost. All the things that we had to do in return, we were able to at least balance the sheets. So how many percent of their payment do you, does that get absorbed into your uh, operational cost and whatnot? It's negotiated. Oh, okay. Yes. From the beginning, they negotiated with the company. Do you have a range? It's, yes, maybe 10%. Okay. Yeah. That's the word. Um, I mean, I'm Nigerian, as you know. I just want to imagine that being female and, and you go into a space where there was nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Your company was the first one and this was like 10 years ago. What was it like for you? Were there any gender um, differences you probably observed? Maybe by virtue of being female and coming to a space where nobody knew about? Anytime this question is asked, we have two answers. Is it a politically correct answer? Thank you. No, let's let's just speak frankly. Like, and let's, let's, there's a frank answer. Again. No, I don't want the PC one. You don't want the PC no, one. No, let's just say it as it is, yeah. Well, the truth is, I don't think this is a personal thing. Okay. I don't think I was raised to see them there. I'll be honest with you. Okay. Nothing. I would, I, I, I've looked, I've been asked this question a thousand and one times. I never in my heart thought, I was doing somebody's job, a man's job. I didn't even understand what it means. Until people ask me, oh, how hard is it to be in a man? I'm like, I really didn't know I was one. Yeah. You know, because I was a maid and I was put on. So I 
got into whatever I was doing from a purpose perspective. This is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so every time I faced what looked like a gender bias, I used it to my favor instead. So if I got into a company, and instead of the person to look at me as somebody who is delivering service, maybe you decide to look at me from another perspective. That's an opportunity for me to get business done. I don't look at it as, oh, the guy is checking me out. Oh, are you really checking me out? <laughs> oh, you are checking me out. <laughs> really? For what purpose are you checking me out for? Oh, this is why I came. I tried to put the conversation, change the conversation to where it favors me and without doing anything stupid. Yeah. So I focused on delivering service at all of those times that any of those things happen. To the point that I've never had a you know very bad experience. Yeah. You, you I don't know, some people also get excited that you're a woman who's working and doing this much. So I, I, I wouldn't say that I I had so much problems with um, my gender. Um, I would even say probably most of the problems I had was with my age. Age, yeah. Okay. Maybe like your relative experience. Yes. Yes. I wasn't even talking about you per se, I just yeah. talking more about the external environment. You know, but I guess it depends on your outlook and just how you yeah. Your feel as how sensitive you are. Yeah. And then how you process that, how you internalize those Internalize it, yes. That's why I give that background that I think it had a lot to do with how I was raised yeah. in the first instance. Now, saying that, I understand about the shadow of that when we talk about gender, um, how people view it, yeah. especially in the context of Africa as well as um, in the Nigerian context, because I also see, we've seen over time that the people who progress the most within our internship, when we look at the numbers, they're mostly male. Yeah. They're the ones who stay on the job, they want to continue to Why do you think that? Yeah, so I think there's a cultural undertone how we're raised, mm. how people perceive it. And sometimes we don't give ourselves we give make a lot of excuses that yeah, that's that's right. happened. Yeah. Yeah. So you are you haven't met a man, but you're already thinking <laughs> So what when I get married, you know, to have kids, I can't take this job now. <laughs> it has not happened. So you're thinking about sixty years time, you have not happened. You know, you're thinking about oh, I just got pregnant. What am I going to do? I can't. I you know, it will affect the child. It will affect the that all those scenarios have not happened. Yeah. But you begin to plan towards it. Oh, I can't take this promotion at this time. Because of A, B, C, and D. But sometimes all of these things have not happened. So sometimes we make a lot of excuses as people. Yeah. Sometimes there's a cultural um, context or influence. And sometimes, most importantly, is how women are raised to, in a certain way, to say, okay, this is, there's a, a limit. To live in the background, basically. Exactly. Exactly. And you must learn to so such so that even when you try to get it from somebody says, uh uh-uh, uh, you're going it. to you're taking it a little too far. Yeah. And yeah. this can this is the consequence of your actions, A, B, C and D. 
So I met young people who, every time we're having this conversation, and so even when I say, okay, I didn't have, I didn't have some of those um, barriers or I didn't have some of those narrative, I, I, I understand without a shadow that what to tell a young person or yeah. a young girl who wants to, wants to aspire to do anything she wants to do and wants to leave the What What other, like thinking about gender roles, like especially in Nigeria, what other areas would you say really it's really prominent and what can we begin to do about it to kind of like change those narratives? Yeah, I think it's how you raise the both genders. So we raise them very differently. They're two different people actually, you know. The way men are different from the way women are. The function and all of that, yeah. They're different. <laughs> Even how we look. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, that's the way it's designed to be. However, you must be aware that the soul, the essence of it is the same. Not the physical, uh, but I mean the seat of the intellect, the mind. It's as the impact you create, put in it, it's, it's so, it doesn't know gender. I don't know if you get what I mean. No, I want to finish your thought, but I'm trying to make sense of it. But go on. Yeah. So what I mean is, what she do with the person's mind, what she create out of it, mm-hmm. sometimes goes beyond whether the person is female oh, or see. Well, regardless male, of their gender. Regardless of their gender. Do you get what I mean? Regardless yeah. of their gender. So. So when we're talking about the soul, when you're talking about the intellect, you have to be very aware of the impact of what you're depositing in there. Okay. So every time we're raising male and female, mm-hmm. you cannot, it's just like what you said, you can't, and how STEM is, it's mm-hmm. one of the challenges that they have in STEM because the thing that oh, the engineering just <laughs> males the, 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 even when we are when we put out jobs when we put out customer service rules yeah. you see ninety nine point five female female yeah and that's natural selection right there like exactly low risk high risk exactly yeah so there's an impact in all of those subtleties yeah in what you're communicating to them mm-hmm. you need to empower that mind to be the best it can be. Do, do we shouldn't account for gender or we shouldn't? We shouldn't account for gender at that point in time. Do you okay. get what I mean? In that place where your the seat of the mind is, where you are, you everybody comes into the world with something. Oh, I see. Is it, are there particular age? Like, at what age should we start? She wouldn't, shouldn't we account for gender? Like, what's the formative years? When it comes to the mind, yeah. that's what I mean. When it comes oh, to the oh. mind, when it comes okay. to education okay. of that mind, you need to create the, you don't, you need to remove the barriers or the boxes that culture, you know, creates to put an individual in a certain box. Okay. You need to explore that person's mind. You need to understand how they learn, what they need to learn. When you do that, you don't. When you're thinking about education or educating that mind, it's not a gender conversation, and it allows people to flourish in terms of who they are as individuals, not as a man or a woman. Do you get what I mean? It allows you to say, okay, this person can be the best 
lawyer there is in the entire world, irrespective of the challenges Different. that they may face as, you know, whether they decide to be pregnant, be married, or have children or, or something like that. And I think that I'm saying that from a growing up perspective yeah. and how much I achieved as a, as a young um, girl because I wasn't you know, everybody, I had brothers actually, but we were treated the same. So it's, I, I really, it, there were circumstances where I was shocked that people asked me questions about going too much because I never knew what going too much. Okay. Or going to the towards, do you get what I mean? So I think when when it comes to that, the state of the mind, where the soul is, we need to allow individuals to become and blossom, and become all that they have to be. So raising children, irrespective of their gender, is essential in you getting the best of them. So how have you done it right there? Like, can you be specific as far as like? You know, so it seems like the way you grew up was, for, let me just make sure I was it probably wouldn't be applicable to many households. Many Absolutely people. not. So what did we do better then and how can we do better now? In, in most circumstances, there there's such a big divide in the way that the two parties are raised. The women are raised to be prepared for something. Marriage? I.e. marriage. <laughs> And the, the glorious land, right? It's like a <laughs> glorious land. As well as it, it, it then introduces them to balancing so many balls, such as education, they still expected to go to school. In some cultural context, mm-hmm. some people don't even send girls to school. Just because they might be gone, yeah. Because the, the end point is for them to get married. Yeah. So you you in that kind of household or scenario, you have if you, if the child if you decide that girl should go to school, she's expected to go to school. She's expected to be a good homekeeper. Yeah, come home, cook, clean, take care, care of her brothers and yeah. sisters. Yeah, in in some ways, this helps because it allows when you're juggling that many balls, it improves your emotional intelligence. intelligence. And then you're multitasking. You're more yes, you're multitasking. You are carrying the world on it. Yeah, yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good. But it then leaves the men to focus on what they should focus on. To so be on the receiving end. Exactly. To consistently be at the receiving end. So in that way, it affects how... It, it affects the... It affects the, both people in different ways. In some contexts, it makes the man feel like... And feel entitled to, to receive everything all the time. To co- to receive it on time, yeah. in time, pe- in, in a particular way. <laughs> Maybe the way their mom did it. Exactly. So and the, the wife has to learn how the mom did it too. Because you have to keep that tradition going, you know what I mean? You get what I mean? Yes. 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 <laughs> and so even when the, the girl child flourishes in terms of maybe a mind or a yeah. place of education, you find that you know, she still believes somewhere there's a line in that she hasn't achieved the overall thing she was prepared for. Yeah, if she's not married, right? If she's not married. And if she's married, who guess who she's going to marry? 
on, on their prepared yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So those are some of the challenges I think culturally we just need to sit down and, and think about. Yeah. Because it doesn't do both parties in it doesn't because it could be so much I can see how they can breed resentment. Yes. Like it's like I prepare my whole life for this. This is what I get <laughs> at the end of the rainbow, like Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't allow it just causes unnecessary nothing. Because the first thing we're both human beings. That's my philosophy. Don't bring this in. We're both human beings. What you know that if somebody shot someone today, the bullet did not does not recognize your, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. <laughs> the challenges in life do not discriminate. Yeah. And if they don't discriminate, you must respect the fact that if I'm carrying certain body too much, it's going to affect me physically. If I'm probably I'm not, I'm talking I'm now I'm, I'm going to lose in, in a family. Yeah. If I'm cleaning up too much yeah. and there's no help in that direction there's a likelihood that you know it's going to affect me physically yeah if you're an emotional or if the man is carrying the burden of having to provide all the way to the end yeah. do you see what i mean because i'm not talking about roles i'm not I mean, yeah. because it's supposed to be the man yeah. most of the time they miss out emotionally you can't reach them yeah emotionally you can't because there's just so much responsibility Attachments most of them have exactly. No, so every time I my 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 first thing is we're first human beings. Let's let's treat ourselves as human beings. Just respect me for who you are, as in who I am, and what I bring to the table, yeah. and let's two work together uh-huh. as we ought to. Yeah, and let's remove. Like I said, it's tradition. I don't know where I picked this up from. Yeah, pressure from the. It's getting pressure from the dead. <laughs> people who are, you know, people who you cannot ask questions. Yeah. So sometimes we need to know what will work for us in the present, under the circumstances, such that even when you're going to pay attention to what has on the culture or traditions, you are asking the right questions. Yeah. And seeing how it will impact. Where your children are, what they're supposed to do in the world, your job as much as are you bringing out the best in them? And then I, I agree with you, and I think the gender of thing is not just unique to Nigeria. I mean, I've spoken to some of my friends from Asian countries like China, Korea, and you find those narratives. Even a lot of African countries, they share just, just similarities. And while I, I believe in equality, but I don't believe that men and women are equal as far as they function. Um, if there's any for me, what I think will make for a better world would be, yeah, let men be men, let women be women. But I wish that men could be taught a little bit more to be to be able to express their emotions, or find outlets to just talk about their issues, or, and and yeah, just express their emotions more. Because I feel like a lot of them bottle up so much inside, because they've been taught not to cry, be a man, hold it in. And that comes up in different ways that you know they can't really function. There's just so much toxins circulating, you know. <laughs> just think about the clouds like above their heads. Is it toxins? Yes, because I mean, I mean, women, you know, we have friends. We can just be dialed that Friday and talk and rant and you know go on dates and with our friends and talk about you know that person did what. 
But I wonder how many, how they kind of like blow off steam. It's a huge responsibility. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. And it stands um, for sharing those thoughts and just, well, nearing the end now. So I see that Sheshawa is, you, you expand, you're expanding to include small and medium businesses. And um, do you have other competitors or is it just, just you for now? Absolutely not just me any longer. Um, we have competitors. That's kind of good. At least you, you are the first to enter market. Oh, yeah. So what would you say is your differentiating factor? Differentiating the fact that I understand the job, or we understand the job beyond connecting people. It's not just about connecting individuals to work. Yeah. We understand what goes on behind the scenes. Mm. So we we run a, a more solid offline model of our work yeah. than we even do online because we we're looking at educational systems. We're yeah. looking at the problems in the private sector, we now do consultancy for government. Mm-hmm. So it's there's a lot more understanding of that work rather than just saying, oh, we are creating, we are connecting people to opportunities. I see. It's actually beyond that. We, under, we, we understand what is needed in the educational sector to move forward, what skills are, I, I demand in the world. Yeah. And what skills are in I demand in Nigeria? What tools, what specific skills do small and medium sized businesses yeah. what need? What can they do without? Yeah. You know, how do I identify these talents in the, in the context of universities? If we're talking to students to prepare for the mode of work, what we know what to tell them, how to prepare them, what to what is what should be done at certain times. So there's a lot more understanding we've grown to so we've now move in the direction of education to employment. Yeah. That's good. And yeah. I see how that can um basically fill a critical gap in the educational system. Yes. I mean from when I started school at three up until my early twenties, I was called there. I was coding I was called under the Nigerian system, educational system. My major, major challenge with it would be just how they want to be so, you know, one focused. And I think I wrote about that last week about how, as a child, I had interest in history and culture and literature, but because I chose a science, I couldn't embark on this kind of things. And you find people doing courses, even when I was in university, then, and you're like, what are you going to do with forensic, you know, investigation in Nigeria? Like, do we even have a defined body? And so we, we churn out these degrees, but we're not preparing these graduates for the market. And there's such a mismatch between the jobs that are available and the courses that are being, you know, offered in university. But I can see how Sheshawa is helping students to bridge that gap. Yeah, and to redirect them in the direction that they should be going. Because yeah. sometimes you have courses in Nigeria. I meet students who study statistics, mathematics, and who has no clue. With all the what they're going to do with that lovely in the world of data analysis, they have no understanding, they don't even know what the terminologies are, yeah, in terms of how the world has moved forward. So, we need to connect the private sector with the one in demand, we need to sit them in the university system, yeah, to also be a part of 
the growing development. Yeah, because I obviously forward thinking, pro- progressive, dynamic yeah. compared to like you know public sectors. And for example, a very quick example is the introduction of mobile phones in Nigeria, which created the um, you know telecommunications industry, which is one of the policies and um, innovations or creations of the Nigerian administration. Now, as beautiful as this sounded, and you know, it's created massive jobs. Yeah. The people who were teaching these courses in school were still people who have never used the phone. They have no idea of the technology that is introduced. So there's even a likelihood that just a analyst, just an analyst, yeah. Uh, and it just the an analyst really in the company maybe a better teacher than the lecturer in the university, university. who well, has no business with the phone already exactly it works. or this conversation about Microsoft Word or you know operating system yeah some schools are still teaching Fortran and some some lecturers are still using exactly the same textbooks that they used twenty years ago with pride. So there's no growing um, <laughs> level of education. So a lot of things can be done. Yeah. Or a lot of things are also being done. Some people are taking initiatives. Some people are making progress because some people are doing what we don't talk about the people, the schools that are making the progress, who are taking those baby steps. Is that like the private schools, right? Usually the private schools, some the public schools, some departments, but they, some departments, but they can't do so much. So much they can do it there. Because of the stakeholder, there's yeah. a bureaucratic um, yeah. system mm-hmm. for them to just make a decision yeah. of their own. But what we say, or what I advise governments is to recognize that this is such a problem that even if they decided to change the educational system, I'll be honest with you, the damage is almost irreparable at this point in time. So you need an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing. Public-private partnership? Partnerships, public-private partnerships, government, civic societies. Sounds like how to restructure the the healthcare system as well. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Do you have any regrets or things you wish you could have done better with HR? Oh, I have it. <laughs> and that's okay. I, I don't. Yeah. I thought you said, "Well, I don't have any." <laughs> no, 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 no. I have a lot of them. I yeah. actually want to, you know, do a TED talk on, 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 on that one. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't mean that I, given the context that I, I was in, yeah, I did everything I did. I, I, I really worked myself with the company. I gave it every single thing I had. Yeah. And that being said, my every person who's worked with me, I brought out fire from, from their bosom, yeah. so to speak, because they worked really hard. What's your staff said, Striker? Four. I only had four at every time. And four at least. So we had one of those people working in our company. And um, one of the things I regretted was not having a co-founder mm. yeah because it's it really did it was really important to help me go faster so it's all like a better like a different set of expertise exactly to exactly. cover you up to cover yeah. yes 
And because I was working so hard, so it, it meant the day that I tired of the job, it affected how what I was, you know, going in. Oh. Also, um, not taking investments too early. That was also such a problem. That was also a problem. Yeah. So guys, let me just uh, stick to those. I like, I like the things for sharing that you know. Um, those are very good things to consider. Now, for those that might be listening, maybe um, budding entrepreneurs, what would you like to say to them as far as you know, just getting started? Wow, there is nothing like a perfect condition. You will never, ever, ever have perfect conditions. So stop planning. Enough. You've done enough. You need to start doing. Just go for it. Just go for it because there are no perfect conditions. The weather is never going to be perfect. Mm. Yeah. So you need to just, if you have an idea, kickstart. Just start the engine. Yeah. And then you would then begin to figure out the other things. So sometimes we plan too much. We don't execute. Pay out too much. Yeah. Pay out too much. So go for it. If you're waiting for a sign, guys. Consider it as a sign. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> finally, you've been living here for a year, being in the US. Yeah. If you were to listen to this in one year's time, what would you like to say to Kumbi, a future Kumbi? Mm. So, drop a note for yourself. Mm. You can begin by saying, hey girl. Mm. <laughs> ah. Was I, you didn't expect that question. I definitely did. I like that I did that. I did not <laughs> see that coming. I did not see that coming. I did Until, okay, this is me in 2020. 2020. 2020. It's a big year for everybody. Telling Kumbi in 2019. Yes. Uh, just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is going to be just fine. <laughs> I told you everything is going to be just fine. Yeah, just take each day as it comes. Drink a lot of water and stop procrastinating. <laughs> just, I think that, no, I would have stopped procrastinating my drinks. So probably I would have said, "Oh, nice and you can't." Uh, I told you you'll be fine. That's what I was saying. I told you you're going to be fine. So never stop believing in yourself, just keep it going. I like that. Thank you. Alright guys, um you've heard it from the horses now. It was just been a refreshing Saturday evening talking to Adikumbi Oyelade, the CEO and founder of Shay Shawa. And we've talked about her entrepreneurial journey, how she got started and just um the unique positioning of Sheshawa in Nigeria their mission, what they do, and just their future expansion plans. If you love this content, um, you can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram to let me know what you like about it. And um, we'll talk about gender roles. All right, guys, thanks for listening. And don't forget to share and comment and, and yeah, just reach out. All right, I'm your host, Masibo, and catch you another time on the Masibo podcast. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. So that was it. How do you feel? Did I feel? I think you're good.
And he has just a talking for coming. Yeah, Bradley Payne. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> nice. Very nice. So, do you want to do something? Yeah, I'm doing some. I'm doing some. And the ones that come over, they actually, like when I'm home, I'll, like, I'll ask them beforehand, like, what do you want me to cook for you? So, I'll cook for them. <laughs> <laughs>